Blossom Your Awesome Podcast, episode number 56. Today on the show, Lucy Grace Yaldesian is here with us. Lucy is a transformational healer, hypnotherapist, and coach. Some of the modalities she specializes in are EFT, TAT, and a system of handwriting known as the Vimala system that rewires the brain. Let me tell you, I have connected with Lucy in the past and she is an absolute light in this world and embodies all that she teaches. I am so honored and delighted to have her here with us, sharing her wisdom, love, and light. Lucy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I've been looking forward to this. Oh, I have been looking forward to this as well. I'm so excited you're here. I cannot wait to get into this with you. I'm going to say we start with a little of your background and how you got into this line of work. It was a long time ago. Um, I was a family law paralegal and I'd been doing legal secretarial work of one form or another for over a decade. And I got to a point in my life where things were really falling down around my ears. I knew I needed some professional assistance. Um, not wasn't quite sure what to look for. But at right around that time, as fortune would have it, I had the opportunity to write an article for a local publication on hypnotherapy. And as I was interviewing different hypnotherapists, the more I learned about it, the more excited I got because everything I was learning about it was so solutions oriented. And that appealed to me tremendously. The thought of just sitting and talking to someone, not that there's anything wrong with talk therapy, but it just didn't feel like what I needed. And, um, this was something so different and so compelling, the idea that you could actually tune into your own mind and make deep changes organically, easily. That was very exciting to me. And I ended up working with one of the people that I had interviewed for the article, Josie Hadley, who at the time was the Palo Alto School of Hypnotherapy founder and director. She unfortunately has passed away, but um, wonderful, wonderful woman, wonderful mentor. And I felt a difference after the first session. And it was such a weird experience for me, having never had any kind of therapy before. I didn't know what to expect. That experience for me 31 years ago I, it's never left me, Sue. I, I always have a great deal of compassion for the people who make that call to me. And um, most of the time, they've never done anything like what I offer before. A lot of them don't know much about it. A lot of them are coming because, are calling me because they've run out of other options. And so I never, never lose sight of the... <clears throat> The, the difficulty, the the challenge, the the bravery I think it takes to make that call. And um, 
So anyway, that's something I haven't lost over the 30 years that I've been doing this work. But um, when I started the hypnotherapy within, it was so impactful within three months, I had given notice at my job and I was enrolled in hypnotherapy school and um, haven't looked back. It's, it's been a marvelous, marvelous journey, even though at the beginning it was, uh, sometimes I felt like a voice crying out in the wilderness. There's so much more awareness now than, than there was then. So it's uh, very exciting to be an elder of this tribe at this point in my life. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That is such a beautiful story. Now, one of the things I know about you, Lucy, so you are, I think so much of kind of the deeper awareness that you have around this, because you seem to take a more empathetic, compassionate approach, right? Like you're really feeling for the client or the person that's reaching out to you in need. So you're, I mean, you've always been, you're an empath, right? You've kind of always had that part of you. I've learned that that's, that's a good word. Um, I also think of myself as clairsentient. Uh, one of the clairs, clair, you know, there's clairvoyant, clairseeing, clairaudient, where you get information kind of through audio downloads and um, definitely clairsentient where you feel other people's feelings. You, it, it um, and yes, you know, at some point I'm going to sit down and really parse out the difference between clairsentience and uh, being an empath. There's certainly a crossover if they're not synonymous. I'm glad to see so much more attention being brought to this subject, uh, especially with children. My gosh, we, we need to support our, our empathic, our clairsentient kids much, much more than what has been done in the past. Mm, I love that. Now, tell me, so is there, you know, obviously some of us are born, have greater in, intuition or empathy, a sense of empathy, or this, you know, feeling as if you're some sort of empath or clairsentient. Is this something that you believe, even if someone has never really tapped into that part of their, you know, themselves. Do you believe this is something that can be developed? Each and every person can develop this ability? I do. I do. And excuse me, it especially is, is, um, it's something that develops so easily in childhood, which is why our childhood stories are so important. Um, A child growing up, in a home where there's there's chaos, there's um, perhaps uh, some kind of substance abuse or r- rageaholic family or an alcoholic family, that that little one learns to read the people around him or her. Right? Um, you 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 need to know what shape dad is in when he gets home from from that meeting. And um, is he going to be in, in a good mood? Is he going to be in a bad mood? Is he going to start throwing furniture? What, what is it? And without realizing it, that child hones the inner resources of reading people, uh, not ever, ever realizing what they're doing. So it, it's a fascinating process to to uh, 
to identify in, in, in an adult, I can often tell just by the initial intake with a client, I, I can tell the ones that have grown up in, in chaos because they do have this, this uh, innate sense that has been so honed. So yes, to answer your question, I, I do believe we are all born with an ability to, to intuit, to, um, to access a higher level of information, whether it's physically or mentally, lots of different avenues of it. And at the same time, it is also developable. Mm. And now I have to say, I think it's so beautiful what you just said and so thought provoking that, you know, children kind of sense and feel in this other way, just naturally, innately have this sense of intuition that is not being fostered and nurtured. And I just, wow, what a, an incredible world it would be if that was you know, if everybody could kind of see that and foster and nurture that in people when they're young. Oh, and, and address it. Yes. Address it as, as it's happening to, to the child who, who doesn't understand why they, when they go to school, they're just overwhelmed. And so much of the anxiety that, that I'm seeing in my practice with little ones and teenagers, especially, oh my gosh, so much of it is just overload. It's sensory overload that they're experiencing because they're, they don't have any filters and everything is coming in all at once. And when you think about how hard it's been Sue, for us as adults to navigate these last few years, imagine with, with all the resources that we have, imagine how much harder it is for a child. Mm. Yeah. Now what I, I cannot imagine what, if anything, is there, you know, uh, you kind of talk about the sensory overload. Is there a practical tip or any guidance that you would have even for adults who like are overloaded, you know, they're just with social media and being on, you know, Instagram all day long or all of that. What, is there something practical advice you can offer us to kind of manage that or deal with that? The obvious first one, of course, is managing the exposure to social media. That That's a given. And it's so easy to get sucked into, especially when, when there's so much in the world that we want to keep a finger on that pulse and, and not, not miss out on what's going on. But at the same time, there's so much information available to us that it's easy to get overloaded. So number one, you know, to, to be really mindful about what your limits are in terms of what you can absorb, what you can take in, what you can hold of all this input that is available to us. Um, uh, my favorite mind body tip uh, for adults, for children, you know, the, the foundation of hypnotherapy is that what the mind sees, the body follows. And when it comes to anxiety, that can be the mind-body connection working against us because the mind sees, feels, reacts to a constant message of danger. Um, that's the mind-body connection working against us. But we can also turn that around and help instill and support, encourage positive imagery 
that will send messages of peace and comfort and ease as well. And so one, one of my favorite suggestions always is this notion of being surrounded by light, a bubble of light. Um, I always think of Glinda, the good witch in the Wizard of Oz who floats around in this magnificent bubble. And, you know, she's sparkly and she's happy and she's bright. And um, it's such a great image. And imagine if, if we could move through life in this beautiful bubble and be in an oasis of calm, uh, no matter what, that the, the bubble of light, um, I like to use light. I like if, if the person is is spiritual, the idea of sacred light, divine light, the light of unconditional love, which I think is, is just a, one of the most powerful forces in the universe, to be surrounded by this energy and then to confirm that this way you're, you're protected and you're safe and whatever's going on around you, you know, negativity, tension, stress, other people's stuff, as it comes toward you, it's absorbed into the light and, and cannot, cannot touch you. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you are in this protected space, this sacred space of calm and peace and tranquility. And let, let the world around you go, go on about its business. You're okay. So to just start out that way, first thing in the morning, even before you get out of bed to surround yourself in, in with light, um, such a great, great act, uh, activity for, for a child, a way to start the day, or if you're driving your kid to work to, uh, before they get out of the car to say, remember, you've got your bubble of light, you're, you're good, you're good to go today. Um, it's very, very powerful. On, on my website, Sue, there, there's a, a section where I have some pre-recorded meditations, and I do have one that that is that subject, the in the light. And I welcome any of your listeners to avail themselves of it. Mm, I love that. That is um, such great wisdom and insights. I just really love that. Um, now, Lucy, let me ask you. Let's get into some of these techniques you do some stuff I mean I know you do EFT but there's some other work and techniques that you specialize in that are not um you know that out there well known so let's talk about TAT can you tell us about that and it, it, what that is and what that entails absolutely I have to you, you made me smile you know that are not that out there People, a lot of people think this is way out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, I meant not out there, like out there enough, right? They're not um, getting sure. exposure. That's what I mean. It, but it made me laugh. Um, yes, yeah, so TAT is a cousin of EFT. They both fall under the umbrella of energy psychology. And this is the, these are modalities of, of healing that are based on the grid of energy in the body, the meridians, the energy meridians, these are little rivers of energy that flow through every human body that flow through animals. And, and um, even, even the earth has these energy lines and we can affect 
some remarkable results, healing results, by tapping into these rivers of energy and by systematic tapping, by unique combinations of, of thought and touch, uh, acupressure points, the results can be really, really miraculous. And um, I, I have been astounded over the years at the miracles that these techniques have created in people's lives. So often, you know, I mentioned earlier that often, you know, I'll get the call because people have run out of other options and they don't know where else to turn. And it's like, well, I might as well try this too. I've tried everything else. Nothing else works. And how they can experience um, just transformative change so quickly, so easily, sometimes within the scope of minutes is, uh, is mind-blowing at times. And these are safe, effective, science-based techniques. They seem really out there, but they're really not. They're very grounded. And um, TAT is, I think, um, just softer. It's, it's, uh, it's been called a portal of grace. It is the beautiful, beautiful work of a woman named Tapas Fleming, who is, uh, she was trained as an, an acupuncturist in Southern California. And actually EFT under Gary Craig developed about the same time that Tapas was developing TAT, the Tapas acupressure technique. And they're, they're similar, but they're very different. And um, there are some clients who really respond to one and others who respond to the other. And um, it's so nice to have a full toolbox that includes TAT and EFT and hypnosis. And uh, the other modality that I love to use is actually personal and professional excellence through handwriting. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that's something that's a very hard sell in these days where people seldom write but your handwriting is, is a very important mind-body connection. So, um, you know, it depends, it depends on the situation, depends on the client. Uh, I, I actually use a process called dowsing to determine what would best serve the client at any given session. So I will ask, is it for the client's highest good to do TAT today? Um, or to do EFT today, or to do hypnosis today. And that's, that's what sets the tone for the session. So I learned a, a while back that I do not need to have all the answers. I, I, I need to be an open channel for goodness to, to flow through me, to, to be connected to the clients, guides, and angels, so that it's, it's really a wonderful healing partnership that is, is there and available for each individual. Mm, wow. Okay. So now this is so prolific. What you just said, this, I mean, it was all just like so mind blowing, but this for goodness to throw flow through you to connect with the clients, angels, um, that's just so incredibly powerful 
that this is the way you work, Lucy, because I just, you know, me as an energy worker myself, I'm always giving it up to my angels. It's not me. And I hear sometimes people saying, oh, I'm a blessed healer. I'm a gifted healer. And, you know, I truly believe that it's angels and guides and we are conduits, right? So I just, I love that you're connecting with their angels and guides. Oh, yeah, it's definitely, we, we, we definitely, it's a conduit for sure, for sure. Um, yes, I, I, I do a, I do an opening ritual for myself at the start of my workday where I kind of, I create, I purposely create sacred space in, in a specific ritual that I do. And then before each client comes in, I do call in their, their guides and angels and ask them to work with me and through me for the client's highest good. This is not the way I've always worked, Sue, but over the years, this spiritual component has become indispensable to me and uh, my process. And I, I couldn't work without it. Uh, yes, it, it's, I really believe that when a person sets an intention to heal, that it is a sacred intention. And so it is, the, the universe gathers all of its healing forces. And um, there's so much, so much available to us to draw from on that level. It's, it's, it's a shame not to use it, not, not, not to incorporate it, not to capitalize on it. And it's something I'm so, so grateful for to, to have access to. Mm. Wow. That is just so powerful. That's so beautiful. You say it's a sacred intention to heal. Um, what can people, if somebody's stuck and struggling or, you know, needs to heal from a physical ailment or they have a broken heart, what's that guidance? Where do they start? What, how can they reach out and begin their own kind of sacred healing? Are there any tips? Gosh, um, a lot of broken hearts uh, in the world these days, especially. Um, that's that. That's a very interesting way to word the question, Sue. Um, I think the first, the first thing, the the place to start is to recognize that you don't have to be in in this place of anguish, right? Um, we we sometimes fall into a trance of suffering and we it's so familiar that we forget that there's a different way to be that there's a different way to live life and so i think that's the first step is to open the mind and the heart to the possibility of of being different of things changing of things getting better of feeling better and um I, I can't imagine a better place to start. I, I actually, of course, over the years have worked with people who say they're they're ready to to heal, and it turns out that they really aren't. That there's an attachment to to um, being the way they've always been, and to do things the way they, they've always been, to do things the way you've always been doing them. And there, there's no judgment here. It's just that that's where the person is. And um, 
that's where they're most comfortable and, and they're not really ready to, to move out of that space. And, and that's, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the, the best thing you can do for yourself in order to feel better is to, to uh, tune into the concept that you can feel better. Yeah. And that you can heal from a broken heart. You can, these, the, you know, sometimes we, the mind is, is so tenacious um, and, and can really glom on to painful memories and experiences. And we can, we can get stuck in those places. I'm working with a woman recently who had um, the experience of infidelity in her marriage and, and she unfortunately read some some correspondence and um, it, it, it really just left an imprint in, in her mind in that, that third eye uh, where you can almost see it constantly playing out in your head. And um, I mean, she was just miserable. The, the level of her anguish was off the charts and uh, she had tried so many other things. And thankfully, you know, it was the, the, the TAT, the EFT that helped her to move forward and to, to ease, to kind of ease the, the charge of those images. It wasn't that she forgot uh, what, what happened or she forgot what she had read or what she had seen. It was just that it, it, it softened for her. It wasn't that, that sharp impact, that pounding in, into her mind and her heart every time her mind went there and stayed there. So it, it kind of dissolved the charge of the situation, as you well know, EFT can do so remarkably and, and so can TAT. So between those two and then uh, hypnotherapy that, that took her to a wonderful heal on her own, it wasn't something I, I intended or asked for. That's where her guides took her. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful session. So uh, don't don't lose faith. If if you're in in a place of anguish of despair, um, you don't need to stay there. There is hope. There is help. There are so many wonderful wonderful practitioners out there. Heart centered people available in person, online. You know, and these healers are there for for you and. Don't don't be afraid to reach out and don't be afraid to shop around because, it, you know, the first one may, may not be the right one. It, there needs to be a good a good connection there. Uh, you need to feel comfortable and safe and, and heard by whomever you're working with. Did that answer your question? It did. I love okay. that. That was such great practical advice. It really uh, did answer it because I think. It, you know, really here, a lot of what I'm trying to do is get out um, this information and talk to amazing healers and, you know, experts like you who are kind of showing people that there are these other alternative means to healing and wholeness. And um, yeah, so I think that's so uh, just awesome, practical advice. So thank you for that. Um, now, something I am just have been holding back on getting into is this, the handwriting. This is, is so mind-blowing. I just, tell us about the handwriting. Well, um, 
I, I love that this excites you. It, <laughs> it, it, uh, it just thrills me to, to hear your enthusiasm um, and, and your curiosity about it. So in 1994, I, I had been certified as a hypnotherapist for just two years. And I heard there at that time, Sue, there was a, a whole station on uh, Bay Area um, radio waves called KEST. And it was all uh, personal growth type programming for several hours every morning. And at that time, there was a show called Seeing Beyond. And the hostess was uh, Bonnie Colleen. And she had all these different kinds of healers that she would interview. So this is way back in the 90s, right? And I would listen. I was so fascinated with the whole whole idea of it. And again, I, as a paralegal and very, very uh, right, left brain person at, at the time, I heard this woman talking about how by changing your handwriting, you could change your life. And this was, as, as you've experienced, just a stunning, stunning idea. And I was fascinated. I thought, what a great uh, compliment to the hypnotherapy to be able to do hypnotherapy in session and then um, also work with the person's handwriting, suggest specific changes that they can make so that um, it will help reinforce the changes that, that they want to make in their lives. And I threw myself into this training. I became certified as a handwriting consultant in the Vimala system of handwriting. And this is the just extraordinary work of Vimala Rogers, a luminary of our times. She developed a new alphabet for the 21st century. And most people never, never realize, but the way we are taught to write, just as, as a third grader, a fourth grader, working with that, uh, in, in my day, it was a, a pencil, a red, big red pencil that we had and the paper that was lined in a certain way. And we would practice rows and rows and rows of upper and lower case letters, uh, learning how to write and then learning uh, how to print and then learning how to write in cursive. And most people, I certainly didn't know that, that as we, I was practicing writing with those specific strokes that I was actually informing my brain, the parietal cortex of my brain was being changed and formed by how I was practicing those letters. So throughout time, you have all these different alphabets that have been in place. And each generation, you know, different generations have had different alphabets to work with. And when you look back on it and, and you look at it from this perspective, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense that um, during the Victorian era, people were taught to write in a certain way. And, and if you look at 17th, 18th century letters, correspondence, you see these very flowery letters and, and big loops. And I mean, it's beautiful, beautiful writing. And so much of, of life in those days was little lace doilies and little uh, just 
all, all this clutter in the house and, and uh, things very prim and proper. And believe it or not, this was reflective of the way that people taught were taught to write. Um, and then you had uh, this, this accountant who said, you know what, Th that, this right handwriting is just too fuzzy. And he came up with a different alphabet, a simpler alphabet. And that became the alphabet that informed the great generation, that, um, that generation that went to war, that had this very strong sense of responsibility, of duty, of honor, very clear uh, images of, of what's right and what's wrong. And um, so many wonderful, wonderful qualities in that alphabet, but also because of that, that there was a certain um, lack of flexibility in it. There was so much right and wrong, uh, not a lot of gray areas for, for that generation. And I, I think of the movie, um, Pleasantville, you know, where we look back so so nostalgically at black and white um, television shows or movies and think, oh, life was so much better then. But then you you scratch the surface a little bit and you see the prejudice that was there, the, the racism that was there, the the haves and the, I mean, it, there was so many, so many elements that were not helpful that were part of that world as well and um, that we're still grappling with now, actually. But um, then in the 60s, you had two alphabets that, that came into play. You had Danelian and Zaner Blosier. And it was like, well, you know, very creative and um, let, let it all out, let it all hang out kind of thing. And, you know, and so you had this, this wonderful, then the next generation, the, the, a high-tech explosion. Suddenly you didn't have men, men going to the office dressed in their gray flannel suits with the white shirt and the tie. And you had um, technicians, you had engineers that were going to work in flip-flops and shorts and Hawaiian shirts and starting at you know four o'clock in the afternoon and working all night and and what who who who's got a, a schedule you know uh, so you had that alphabet and you had so much creativity very visual and um, a lot of innovation but not a lot of self discipline not not so anyway um, this is a long digression but Vimala study the, the handwriting of luminaries, whether it was Mother Teresa or um, Abraham Lincoln, you know, and, and identified the strokes in their writing that supported the best in them and translated that into the 26 letters of the alphabet the way we know it. A through Z, but in a different order because she groups them in families. And every nuance in the Vimala alphabet, every stroke of every letter has meaning and purpose. And so for the very first time, you have this intentional technology that supports the best in us. Um, children who are taught the Vimala alphabet right off, right off the bat, it's a character building tool. There, there's healthy willingness to take risks. 
there's follow through, there's tenacity, there's responsibility, there's tolerance, there's open-mindedness, all these beautiful, beautiful qualities, truth-telling, authenticity. These are all part of the Vimala alphabet. And um, it, it's, it's remarkable how it works. It's remarkable how transformative it can be to make these changes based on how you write. Now, it is not an overnight tool for change. And in this society of ours that is, excuse me, <clears throat> that is, you know, microwave instant gratification, a texting is not fast enough kind of society that we're in. Um, the idea of actually applying ourselves for 40 days to a specific letter uh, and to a specific quality uh, to make a, sp a specific change, it's, it's a hard sell for a lot of people. But um, if, if, you like to write and you like to write by hand, uh, journalers, this is a beautiful, beautiful practice for that, that individual. And um, you can incorporate a gratitude practice in with your daily handwriting practice. Um, but you, you're actually being asked to make specific changes to how you write certain letters and how you write in general. And believe it or not, this does change your attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs. Mm, yes, it just, you know, I will say since our first conversation, I've done a little of it and without question, it's working a part of the brain because who's writing anymore to begin with, you know, let alone in cursive or, you know, kind of the patterns or the, the alphabet, the way it's structured it really gets you using a part of the mind that you're not, um, we don't normally use. And um, I just have to affirm that absolutely, I can see the power of it and how it would over time with practice and dedication would rewire parts of the mind, parts of oh, the Oh, I love that you've had that experience. That, that's so, so great to hear. Yeah, thank you, thank you for, for sharing that. It, that's great. Oh my God, thank you. I mean, it really just, it, you know, and again, I've done a little of it and I intend on doing more and more is going to come up for me through that. But just that, you know, the, the motory skills kind of, sitting down and thinking, I mean, even just writing in cursive, let alone kind of learning this other system, right? So there's that part of the mind that we're exercising that we just have kind of lost that art altogether now that we're all on our devices and just typing away, you know, who's writing letters anymore? Who's writing in cursive at all? And I think it's such an incredibly uh, powerful lost art. And then this just puts it on a whole other level. So, um, cursive especially, you know, uh, it's, you don't have to, you're actually being, uh, you're actually asked not to connect every letter in the Vimala system, but to connect certain letters, to connect some letters. Just think about that word connection. In our society, in our world, it's one of the most precious avenues that we're missing is connection. So many people feel isolated. So many people feel disengaged. And this 
notion that we're not connecting, believe it or not, we're, we're, it's happening in the brain. And it's happening because people who do write by hand still for any reason, I mean, nine times out of 10, I, I will see people printing. And uh, a lot of times now more and more and more, it's all uppercase. And this is, this is really, really unfortunate because we need to be connecting letters to each other. So our brain lays down neural pathways, reinforces neural pathways of connection, connecting ideas, connecting thoughts, connecting with each other. Um, when I look at a group of teenagers, Sue, who are sitting right next to each other and all texting to each other, not making any eye contact, I think of, of the handwriting. <laughs> I think, oh my gosh, I wish, I wish these kids could just go back to fourth grade and 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 um, do some do some handwriting, do some cursive and and get back to connecting with each other. A lot of school districts have, have eliminated cursive from their curriculums. It's, oh, it's, it's um, heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. It's, it's such a disservice to our kids. And, and I encourage anybody out there to at least, you know, write one note by hand today, even if it's a post-it note. Um, and, and you know that anything you write by hand, you're going to remember better. It's, it's going to um, sit differently in, in your mind, in your psyche, than, than if you just type it on a keyboard. A different part of your brain lights up when you write by hand than what lights up when you, when you use a keyboard. Mm, wow, it is so fascinating. Now, I'm going to have links to all of that for people. Um, but let me ask you, Lucy, on a personal level, you know, you've been down this path of soul evolution and spiritual development and growth and working with all these beautiful alternative healing modalities. What has this done for your soul? Wow, that's, that's a magnificent question. It has, it has introduced me to my soul. Because to be able to speak to the spirit, the indwelling spirit in each individual, to, to be witness to the moment when the light comes back into someone's eyes, it, it's, it's stunning. It's, it's, a, it's beyond description. And I can truthfully say that when I began this work, my sense of God, of spirit, was nothing compared to what it is now. Mm. Wow, that is so beautiful. So tell us more. What is it now? What is your sense of that now? How has that evolved for you? I, I truly believe and have evidence I, I i experience again and again and again that we do have a, we are spirits having a human experience and that who we are as as people as uh, human beings that is 
the lampshade. And what really matters is not, not that the lampshade doesn't matter, it's very important, but what, what's really significant is, is the light in, inside. And everything else is uh, temporary. It's, it comes, it goes, it, it can really hold us hostage sometimes. But um, to, to be able to recognize our spiritual nature and connect with it, live from it, come back to it again and again and again, it, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in life. Mm, wow. Oh my God. You are, I mean, talk about luminaries. You are just, I, I mean, Lucy, like I am just so, um, moved by your light and your wisdom and just, you know, where you are through your own journey and connecting with divinity and stuff and how um, blessed I am to have connected with you and to have you share this. Um, I just think it's so amazing. And I love what you just said about, um, you know, being able to really connect to the light inside of each and every one of us. That's so powerful. Oh, thank you, Sue. You're very, very kind. Thank you. I know. Thank you. Um, so I am going to just, in closing, I want to say thank you so much for your wisdom, love, and light, and just your time today. It means so much to me. And I feel so honored. So thank you for that. Oh, Sue, the honor is mine. I love your enthusiasm. I love your service in, um, in introducing people to just the array of what's available to help them be them, their best selves. And um, that, that's a beautiful, beautiful service that you're doing. I know wholeheartedly, much appreciated, much valued, and so needed. Mm, thank you so much. That just is so moving and so touching. That means the world to me. So I am going to ask in closing, if there is one message, words of wisdom, your hope for the world, what would that message be that you'd like to leave us with? That we have vast reserves available to us of everything that we need to shine. And trust, optimism, hope, resilience, strength, gratitude, forgiveness, whatever we could possibly need is out there available. And to trust that we can reach for it and bring it in and use it and live happy, peaceful, hopefully, hopefully peaceful lives. Um, not, not, not to lose faith. I think that's, it's certainly a day-to-day -day challenge these days at times, truly, but um, so important, so important. And, and that you can be your best self. Mm. 
Wow. I love it. Lucy, thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Thank you.